Well, good afternoon to you all. Um, good to see you all here this afternoon. Hopefully you've had a good morning. Who's had a good morning so far? Enjoyed the sunshine. Who's into gardening? Okay, I'm always looking for the gardeners because I don't like gardening, so I'm looking for, for people that could volunteer potentially in the future. <laughs> so whenever I ask, who likes, be weary. <laughs> um, yeah, no, a good day, and um, every day is a good day uh, when you've got something to be positive about, and um, that's what this seminar is all about. Um, it's about sharing hope and um, providing certainty in this uncertain world that we live in. And um, yesterday uh, we looked at um, the way the world is, as, as we're all well aware, uh, but we looked at where things are heading. Um, ultimately, the good news of the second coming of Jesus. So you've all heard the, the saying, you know, um, there's light at the end of the tunnel, yes, and that's the light at the end of the very dark tunnel that, that we are living in and sadly it'll get a lot darker before it gets lighter but then one day there will be the glorious light at the end of the tunnel when Jesus appears. Well this afternoon's message I have entitled uh, this first one of these two that we will have the grand climax of human history. The grand climax of human history. I want to ask the question as we begin, how will this world end? Well, there are some that don't believe that it will ever end, but then there are those that believe that, yeah, it could end. There are several scenarios, popular scenarios that have been put forth. One is a global nuclear war. What's the possibility of that, do you think? That's pretty high, isn't it? It's very, very high. We've got the potential, um, as we discovered yesterday. Another one is a doomsday asteroid. Um, you may or may not be aware, but there are hundreds thousands of these asteroids that are circling not too far away from our atmosphere. Then there are those that propose a fatal disease and we discovered yesterday that fatal diseases are what? They're on the rise, aren't they? More and more outbreaks every year, more and more outbreaks every decade. And then there is global warming or climate, climate change. Have you heard of that? Anyone heard of climate change and global warming? Well, those, those who are, are giving us the, the statistics are telling us that unless we change our ways, there may not be a planet that can be inhabited for after this century. And um, so that's another scenario. Hollywood has come along and of course Hollywood um, wants to make a few dollars based on people's fears and curiosities. And so Hollywood's put out a number of end of days movies. Some of you may have seen movies such as Armageddon, Deep Impact, Independence Day, or The Day After Tomorrow, or the latest one that came out of several years ago, 2012. How many of you remember hearing of that movie? Okay, um, based on the Mayan calendar and that the world would come to an end on December 21, 2012. Well, we're still here, so um, the, the world didn't come to an end. So there's Hollywood, and then there are the scientists. And most people, when it comes to this topic, they simply dismiss it as, as, as scare tactics or fiction or, or something like that, but not serious at all. Well, there are some scientists that think it's very, very serious. I want to introduce you to the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. How many of you have heard of them? Okay, a couple of you have only heard of them. 
This is a group of scientists around the world, um, a group of scientists uh, that began with, um, with, that, with that wonderful scientist, that great scientist, and his name eludes me right now. Who is that great scientist? That well-known 20th century scientist? Albert Einstein, that's the guy. <laughs> Just couldn't think of his name. Albert Einstein is the one who began um, uh, this society, the Bulletin of the Atomics, and they formed in 1947, shortly after World War II. And they have put together a doomsday clock, and it's been in operation since 1947. And this clock monitors what's taking place in the world, and based on what's taking place in the world, politically, socially, environmentally, we are either further away from midnight, which is doomsday, or we are closer to midnight. So depending on what's going on, the clock hand has been moving this way and that way. Last year, you can't see the date up there, but it's January 2017, the clock moved to two and a half minutes to midnight. Why? Doomsday clock ticks closest to midnight in 64 years due to climate change, nuclear fears, and the one and only Donald Trump. That was last year. Okay, we're in 2018. This year, in 2018, you can't see the date up there, but it's in January, last month, the clock was moved from two and a half minutes to midnight to two minutes to midnight. Closest that it's ever been. Apart from in 1953, when in the space of six months, some of you may remember this, I wasn't around in 1953, but some of you were. In 1953, where within the space of six months, the United States and the Soviet Union both tested the first hydrogen bomb. How many of you remember that? Back in 1953, it was a big deal. Huge deal. The world was on edge. It was two minutes to midnight then, in 1953. Since then... It's never been that close to midnight. You can go onto the website. Maybe not a good idea to go to the website. <laughs> um, and here we go. These are some of the reasons why the clock is now two minutes to midnight. Do you recognize some of these characters? I think we all do. Here, here is the doomsday clock. As it's been ticking um, since 1947, you can see it started off at seven minutes to midnight. Then it went right down to 1953. I mentioned that regarding the two hydrogen bombs that were tested. Then life seemed to go reasonably well. Then it kind of went down a little bit. Then up. And then we kind of went really down during the 80s. But then all of a sudden we started to rise. 1991. Why was the clock 17 minutes away from midnight in 1991? Why was the world in such good condition? You ask, good question. The reason was in 1991, what happened in Eastern Europe? The Berlin Wall, what happened? It fell. Communism came to an end the way it was during the Cold War. The Cold War era came to an end and there was great optimism that we were doing well and that there was peace and harmony now for all to enjoy. But guess what's been happening since 1991? Which way has the clock hand been going? In the wrong direction. And that was 2017. Now we are 2358, two minutes to midnight. That's what the scientists are saying. They're not looking at the Bible. 
They're just simply looking at what's going on in the world and based on what's going on in the world, they are saying, this is how close we are. We need to do something about it. Well, there were those in Hawaii last month that thought doomsday was about to arrive in a few short minutes. How many of you remember watching on the news that in Hawaii, the residents of Hawaii received this text message at 8.07 on a Saturday morning in January last month, emergency alert, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii, seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. You've got minutes. Literally, there was panic, panic. I've read the stories. There was this father and he was sending his young daughter down this manhole in the, in the footpath. How many of you remember seeing that? And the little girl doesn't want to go down there. Obviously, it's dark, it's, it's scary. But dad is saying, you have to go down there. And he's closing the lid. I mean, we're living in scary times, aren't we? Imagine you received a text message like that right now, that there was a ballistic missile headed our way. I mean, there would be panic. People were getting together with families, saying their final goodbyes, and um, it, was, it, was, it was terrifying. So how will the world end? Will it end in any one of those ways? Well, I've got good news for you, my friend. I've got very good news for all of us and those who are watching, wherever you may be watching, I have good news for all of us. The world will not end based on any one of these scenarios that we have looked at. The world will end, but it will not end that way. There will be another ending that the atomic scientists haven't taken into account that this book, the Bible, speaks of, and that is the second coming of Jesus. So today, that is our topic. We want to take a look at how close we are to the coming of Jesus and what will ultimately usher in the coming of Jesus. We want to go to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 once again today and we want to discover what Jesus had to say about the climax of human history. So without any, without any more, before we open up God's word, we want to do what? We want to pray. We want to ask God to bless our time together. So let's do that right now. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here together. Father, we live in a scary world. We don't need to be reminded of that. We see that on the news every single day. If it's not one thing, it's another. If it's not an earthquake, it's a mass shooting. If it's not a mass shooting, then, then it's violence. If, it, if it's not that, it's the economy. If it's not that, it's, it's society or it's the climate. It's something. Lord, there are so many things, Lord, out there that are bringing great fear into the hearts of people. But Father, we're today here not to focus on the fear. We're not here today uh, to, to, to focus on that, which, 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 which brings great trepidation to our hearts. But we're here today to focus on that which brings us hope. And we thank you that in Jesus we can have hope in these uncertain times. So we pray that as we open the word, that he will open our hearts and our minds for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, we are living in a time where there are more false Christs than ever before in human history. This is one individual, David Koresh, and the Waco, Texas tragedy. Then we have our own Jesus Christ, one who claims to be Jesus. He lives in the Riverland, and he says, I am Jesus. His name is Alan Miller. And his wife here, she claims she's Mary Magdalene. 
And um, they, they have a little commune and there are followers. They have followers, you know, genuine followers that believe that he is Jesus and she is Mary. This is their website. You can go to their website. It's called Divine Truth. Discover God's universal truth and receive God's love. Welcome to whoever you are from Jesus and Mary. Uh, they give you a big warm welcome on their website. Now you may be thinking, that's not me. I'm not going to be following someone like that, like an Alan Miller or a David Koresh. Notice here what Jesus said in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me put it to you that whoever claims to have another way to Jesus Christ is a false Christ, whoever that may be. And today there are many, many different ways, different avenues to eternal life. Isn't that true? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the eternal life. Today you can, you can go to, to, various, to various religions. Today people make up their own religions. The new age is huge today. And the new age is basically your own way to salvation. And so that is a false Christ in the greatest sense of the word. And you may not have thought about it that way. Jesus went on and he said, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. There will be false prophets. This is one individual here by the name of Harold Camping. He's passed away now. But he predicted, and he had hundreds, thousands of followers that supported him financially and with their time and their resources and their, and their energy, they were his disciples, and he predicted that the end of the world would come, or the rapture would come on May 21, 2011. Now that weekend, I happened to be in a place called Warrnambool. Anyone here heard of Warrnambool in Victoria? Beautiful part there um, at the bottom of Victoria on the Great Ocean Road. Um, I happened to be there running a program like this, and one of my topics was how soon are we coming to the, to, uh, how soon are we to the coming of Jesus? And I had the newspaper lady want to interview me. She thought I might be part of Harold Camping's group. So, I mean, they were everywhere. They're everywhere. So she thought, oh, I might be sharing on how close we are that this weekend it's all happening. So anyway, there we go. That's in the newspaper. She interviewed me. And I'm so glad in the interview she got it right, what I actually told her. Apocalypse is nigh, or as in near, not sure when, says pastor. Hallelujah, when I read that in the local standard newspaper, the Warrnambool paper. I didn't want to be associated with Harold Camping, but at the same time, I didn't want to say that there's nothing to the second coming of Jesus, nothing at all, these signs. I wanted to give the biblical definition of what this subject entails. And I'm so glad the newspaper got it right. They don't always get it right, but they did get it right that time. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Let me put it to you, that someone who is a false prophet is not someone only who claims to have some kind of gift of prophecy or to be a self-proclaimed prophet like our friend Harold Camping and many others. A prophet, a prophet according to scripture is someone who speaks on behalf of God. That's what a prophet is. Someone who claims to speak on behalf of God. I am today in many ways a prophet. 
Why? Not that I'm predicting the future. I am simply speaking on behalf of who? On behalf of God. Today, there are many who claim to speak on behalf of God in various churches around the world who are actually not speaking on behalf of God. Because those who speak on behalf of God speak in harmony with what? With the Bible. If you're not speaking in harmony with the Bible and you're claiming to represent God, guess what you are? A false prophet. Now, you probably haven't thought about it like that. That's why we need to look at the words of Jesus and we need to go broader beyond the definitions that we have always thought of. Now, deception is so powerful, so, so powerful. Let me illustrate how deception works and how deception is so close to the original, but it's not, and how deception can make something so right yet be so wrong. Are you ready for this? Now, this is one word. Now, that's not a word you'll find in your dictionary, so don't go looking or even Google it. You won't find that. But let's divide up this one word into four words. All right, here we go. This one word into four. God is nowhere. How many of you believe that God is nowhere? Is nowhere to be found? Well, if you did, you would say, I'm an atheist, because an atheist doesn't believe in God. All we need to do is move the W from here to here, and now we have God is now here. How many of you believe that? Does it make a difference where you put the W? Absolutely. It makes a world of difference. God is not here, or God is now here. It makes all the difference in the world. That's how deception works. And that's why deception is so powerful. And that's why Jesus begins with the words in Matthew 24. Watch out, there will be great deception. Not once, not twice, not three times, but four times in that one chapter, Jesus mentions deception. That is what we need to be mindful of more than anything else in the world. Now you may be thinking, False Christ and false prophets, I'll pick them from a mile away. Notice what Jesus had to say. Matthew 24, 24. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even who? The elect. Who are the elect? The elect are those that go to church every week. Those that read their Bible every week. Wow, you may be thinking, that's me. So I can be deceived? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what Jesus is saying. Even the elect. How do you remain undeceived? Well, we'll look at that in just a moment. Jesus said, see, I have told you beforehand. Notice he goes on in verse 26. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he in the singular, capital H, who do you think that might be referring to? Jesus. Absolutely. Jesus. He is in the desert. Do not go out or look, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus says, He will come in the clouds. Every eye will see Him. Like lightning from east to west, you will not have to read in your paper or watch on the evening news that Jesus has arrived. He will arrive for the whole world to see Him. Now, we know from Scripture, from what Jesus said, that there will be someone who will try and deceive the world, the whole world, by seeking to imitate Christ. 
And we're not talking about David Koresh. We're not talking about Alan Miller. We're not talking about your mate down the road who thinks that he is Jesus. We are referring to the one who will seek to pull off the greatest deception in all of human history, and that is Satan himself. You think, what? I've never heard of such a crazy thing. Are you telling me that Satan will try and pull that off? No way, Danny. You're crazy. You've lost it, Danny. You think, amen, <laughs> you think for a moment of what God's professed people, call them Christians, are looking forward to most. What are they looking forward to the most? The second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus. Now, guess what? You go out there in Christian circles and you'll discover there's lots of different ideas as to how Jesus will come. In whose hand do you think that's playing into? In the devil's hand. Absolutely. He's seeking to deceive. That's what Jesus told us. Watch out. Notice what the Bible says. The devil has the ability to do. The God-given ability to do. God has allowed him to do this. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of what? Light. Now, have you seen an angel of light? Neither have I. But guess what I think? I think if I saw an angel of light, if an angel of light appeared right here, we'd be just blown away. We would be blown away. Our, we would be hitting the deck. Whether you wanted to or not, you would be face down. You would be just not worshipping. You would be just completely, it'd be like a nuclear bomb going off. An angel of light. You read in Scripture. When angels of light, when one angel of light appears, I'm telling you, they fall like dead men, the Bible says. So, when Satan appears as an angel of light, do you think he's going to have many deceived? Absolutely. Including possibly even the elect? That's what Jesus told us. So what must we do? We must be in tune with what Jesus has to say on this all-important subject of his soon return. And Jesus was absolutely crystal clear. Every eye will see him like lightning from the east to the west. You and I need to know our Bibles. There is no plan B. Don't put it under your pillow. It's not going to transfer into your mind. You need to read it. You need to read it. And if you and I are not reading it, like people ask me, Danny, why are you not on Facebook? How many of you are on Facebook? Okay, a few of you are on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. And, and my simple reason is this. I don't have enough time to have my face in this book. I haven't got time for Facebook. When I have more than enough time in this book and I've got spare time, then I'll get Facebook. But the last time I checked, I don't have enough time. And so we need to spend more time, more time in God's Word. That is our only hope. Let me illustrate how important this is. I don't know if you're aware, but Australia is flooded with fake $50 notes, so good that they can fool banks. How many of you knew that? The $50 note is the note that is counterfeited in Australia more than any other note. There are millions of dollars of $50 counterfeit notes out there. On this particular occasion, a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, I'm having a conversation with my mum. My mum and dad, 
they've moved to Brisbane now, but they used to live in a little town called Pylong. How many of you have heard of Pylong? Okay. How many of you have heard of Kilmore? How many of you have heard of Melbourne? Okay. Pylong is about an hour and a half out of Melbourne in Victoria. And nothing happens in Pylong. I mean, no one even knows that it exists. <laughs> Obviously, nothing happens in that part of the world. Anyway, I'm talking to my mum and dad, and I'm like, I'm talking to my mum, and I'm like, yeah, what's been happening, da-da-da-da-da. And she's like, uh, well, not much. Oh, actually, I need to tell you. I need to tell you, I think I have some counterfeit $50 notes. I'm like, really? You've got some counterfeit $50 notes? She goes, yeah, I do. She goes, you may also. And I'm like, well, let me double check. And she's kind of explaining to me how, how it's a counterfeit. Um, and I'm like, let me just double check. So I go into my wallet and sure enough, there's no money in there at all. Um, well, there's certainly not $50. My wife generally puts in about 20 bucks at most. She used to put in $5 when we first got married because we were very poor. And then she upped it to $10 when I started working. A few years later, she said, okay, I'll give you now $20 in your wallet. So um, there's no $50 in my wallet. So whose wallet did I need to go to to go find $50? My wife's wallet. Absolutely. So I go into her wallet and sure enough, there's a few $50 notes there. And so I pull them all out. I say, yep, I've got the $50 notes. And she's like, well, does it have this? And I'm like, what do you mean? And here they are. These $50 notes right here. And, um, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, I've got some fake $50 notes too. How would you know that? Well, let me show you. This, my mum said, was the original $50 note. This here is a counterfeit. Now, can you tell the difference between the two? No, you can't. Have a look here. The lady's name, Edith Cowan, appears here on this genuine $50 note. There is no name here. Can you see that? No name. Wow. I'm like, I've got some fake $50 notes as well. I had a couple of them. I'm like, what are we going to do? She's like, well, we can't give them to the police. Then we'll lose our money. I'm like, but that's illegal. We can't keep $50 notes. We'll end up in jail. So what are we going to do? We're in a dilemma. We give the $50 notes to the police and we don't have them anymore. That's it. They get confiscated because it's, it's, it's illegitimate money or we keep them and just pass them off to the next poor person. And it's their problem. Well, I couldn't do that. I really couldn't do that. I was in a real dilemma. So what do you do? Well, here you go. Look, on the back side, now you give it to the bank, you still lose the money. Yeah, they don't give you $50. They don't give you a genuine $50. No, that's it. It's all over. And here's on the back side, the name, David, what is it? Upton or something. And there's no name there. Can you see that? Oh, my. And I'm like, oh, 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 we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Now, my mum at that time didn't have the internet, but I did. So I had an idea come to me. Why don't I Google the Reserve Bank of Australia and find out whether these are forged or whether these are the real deal? Would that be a good idea? So that's what I did. I went to the Reserve Bank of Australia website. Get to know your banknotes. All right. So I'm doing some exploring onto the website. And guess what I find out? Common myths about banknotes. Here we go. Myth. 
banknotes without the printed name underneath the portrait are counterfeit. That's a myth. After 2002, the names were added to the banknotes. After 2002. And I'm like, Mum, <laughs> we're not going to go to jail and we're not going to lose our $50. <laughs> now, how did I know the truth? I went to the original source. I went to the original source. And you can go there. Could you spot a counterfeit note? And it gives you eight different ways of how you can know the genuine from the fake. My friends, I think the illustration is clear. Unless you and I know what this book says, you and I stand the risk of falling for the counterfeit. It's as simple as that. Get to know your banknotes. No, I've got a different message. Get to know your Bible. Get to know your Bible. I love this poem. What says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me, the teachings of men so often mislead me? What says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me? This my only question be, what says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me? Amen? That is what I want to live by. I don't care what you think with all due respect. And really, it matters not what I think. Amen? Who cares what Danny thinks? You can say amen. I'll say amen for you. Neil, you should be saying amen. <laughs> really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you think and it doesn't matter what I think. The only thing that holds water is what God's Word says. True? Absolutely. I mean, if it's not a thus saith the Lord, if it's not an it is written, it matters not. Who cares? Today we live in a Christian world where the majority of people, and I'm talking about all Christian churches, not just one or two, all Christian churches, all denominations, the majority of Christians, professed Christians, have a smorgasbord Christianity. And do you know what a smorgasbord Christianity is? Have you ever been to a smorgasbord? Yeah? At a smorgasbord, do you have to eat everything that's on the menu? Yes. No, you don't. <laughs> Some of you do, <laughs> but you don't really. You can pick and choose, isn't that right? You can pick and choose what you want. And today we are living in a Christian world, and the Bible actually tells us that in Revelation chapter 3, where we are picking and choosing the bits and pieces that we like, that appeal to us. Those aspects of the Bible that give us indigestion, spiritual indigestion, guess what? We leave them for someone else. God is inviting us to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, that's a little on the religious world. I could share so much more, but we don't have time. The importance of Bible prophecy. How important is Bible prophecy? This is how important. If only God's professed people 2,000 years ago had listened to the words of Jesus, not one would have died in the siege and ultimate overthrow of Jerusalem by the Roman armies in 70 AD. Do you know that they had a huge heads up? Do you know that? Have a look at the words of Jesus. Matthew 24, back to that chapter, Matthew 24, 15. Jesus warned them, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by who? Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Now, Jesus here is referring to a prophecy 
that God gave through his servant Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. You can go home and read about it in Daniel 9 verses 26 and 27. Where, where God predicted that his chosen people, Israel, would one day as a nation, as a leadership, reject the Messiah and subsequently the city would be destroyed, the nation would be dispersed. God predicted that 500 years before Christ. And Jesus is reminding them of, their word, of these words and he says, whoever reads, let him understand. Should we understand Bible prophecy? I think so. That's what the Bible tells us. Then let those who are in Judea do what? Flee to the mountains. Jesus said, when you see this abomination of desolation, now what's that? We don't have time to unpack that. I'm going to get to what was taking place in just a moment. When you see the armies of Rome surround Jerusalem, that means that it's about time for the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. You'll remember that Jesus said not one stone would be left upon another that would not be thrown down. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But Jesus said in Luke 21, 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is what? Near. We've heard those words, haven't we? You know, the fig leaves? When you see all these things taking place, you know that my coming is what? Near even at the doors? Jesus said, when the armies of Rome surround Jerusalem, you'll know very clearly that its destruction is very near. Now, there's only one big problem. One big problem. That is, if the army surrounds your city, how are you going to flee? Can you flee? No, you can't flee. You can't flee. Something amazing happened that God orchestrated. Notice what happened. In 67 AD, the Roman army general Cestius Gallus surrounded the city of Jerusalem and was preparing to overthrow it when he withdrew and hurriedly retreated for no apparent reason. Historians are mystified. Why did he retreat? No one has any idea today. There are a few different theories and ideas, but no one has come up with a with a, with a reasonable explanation why Cestius Gallus, who was the Roman army general at the time, why he all of a sudden mysteriously retreated as he was on the verge of overthrowing the city. All of a sudden, he just took off. And the Jews, they saw this as a sign that God was with them because they didn't believe anything would ever happen to the city. Nothing would happen to the temple. The Titanic... That was, the, that was the thinking of the Jewish nation regarding its temple. It was the Titanic. Nothing could sink this pride of their nation. And so when this took place, the, the, the Jewish army chased the Romans and killed hundreds, thousands of them. But the Christians, the Christians saw this as a sign that it was time to go. Jesus said, don't even go home. If you're in the field, don't go home. If you're inside the city, make a quick escape. Every single Christian left the city of Jerusalem. Guess what happened? Three years later, Titus, the general Titus who became an emperor, he surrounded the city and this time there was no escape. Every single person that chose not to heed the words of Jesus and escape when the opportunity was there, every single one, every single person lost their life. 
over a million individuals lost their lives during the siege of Jerusalem. Did Jesus give the warning? Yes. Those who heeded the warning were spared. Why does God give us warnings? Why does he do that? To scare us? No, to save us. To save us. That is why we receive warnings. To save us. To, to give us an opportunity to prepare. You can go to Rome today and not far from the Colosseum is the Titus Arch. And there on the Titus Arch you can see uh, the Roman armies carrying out um, the seven-branch candlestick from, from the temple. You remember what Jesus said about the temple? When the disciples said, have a look at this temple, have a look at the stones, have a look at the magnificence of this structure. Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Not one stone left upon another. Did that really happen? Well, in 70 AD, Titus commanded that the temple was to be left alone. I mean, this was just a magnificent structure, a magnificent building, to be left alone. But one of the soldiers, angry, threw, threw a flame into the temple and it went up so quickly. The temple in Jerusalem burnt completely. The soldiers, once the fires had gone out, the soldiers realized that there was an enormous amount of gold wedged in between these massive stones. You want to talk about big stones? These were like 20, 30, 40 tons in weight, each stone, each stone. They saw these stones and they saw all this gold that was wedged in between the stones. And in order to get to the gold, what did they do to the stones? They ripped them apart. How they did that, I don't know but they ripped them apart to get to the gold and the words of Jesus came true to the very letter. Not one stone shall be left here upon another that will not be thrown down. My friend, the Bible says in Amos 3.7, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret to His servants, the prophets. Whatever is of eternal significance and importance in your life and my life, God reveals to us ahead of time. Isn't that good news? He reveals it to us through His servants, the prophets, who have written it down in this book called the Bible. So if you and I are caught unprepared, it's not because God chose that for us. It's because we were not willing. We were not willing to take the time to read what God had revealed through His servants, the prophets. We want to get to our final sign. The greatest and the final sign that will usher in the second coming of Jesus. And notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. This is the greatest one, the best one of all. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in how much of the world? And all the world is a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. So what will bring about the coming of Jesus? Will it be a nuclear war? No. Will it be climate change? No. Will it be a disease pandemic? No. What will it be? It will be the gospel going to all the world. Now, what does the word gospel mean? Good question. Thank you for asking. It means good news. Good news about what? Good news that God loves every single person on the planet. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. That's the good news that needs to go to all the world. And when that 
happens when every single man, woman, and child on the planet has had the opportunity to either say yes or to say no, then Jesus will come. The gospel is going to all the world. The full Bible or part of the Bible in the year 1800 was available in 70 of the some 7,000 languages that we have in the world today. Today, it's available in over 3,000 languages. The Bible or parts of the Bible. The gospel is going far and wide. Now, you may be thinking, how on earth it's going to take forever for the, for the 4,000 language groups out there in the world to hear the gospel. I mean, we're not even halfway. God has at his disposal individuals called angels. Have you heard of angels? Yes. God has at his disposal a gift that he gives to human beings called the gift of languages. God can, in a very short space of time, wrap up the work by giving the message through angels, through human beings. So don't be perturbed by that. Today, the gospel is being shared all over the world. People are hearing the good news for the very first time via the internet. The gospel is going into places where I would never be able to go. You would never be able to go and preach openly and preach freely the way we do here in Australia in the Muslim world. There are Muslims by their hundreds, by their thousands, probably by their millions, only God knows, who are accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, doing it very secretly. They're receiving visions and dreams according to the testimony of these individuals. They're receiving it via the internet. The gospel is going to all the world. I had the opportunity of going to Papua New Guinea a couple of years ago, back in 2014 it was, um, and I went to this most isolated place in the world. It's a place called Tomobile. It's on the border of Indonesia and Papua New Guinea. The only way you can get there is by plane or by walking. There's no roads, no other way to get there. They are so isolated, no radio, no television, no telephone, no internet. I was like in heaven. No one could contact me. I couldn't contact anyone. It was fantastic. <laughs> Imagine a world without television, phone, internet, radio. Fantastic. <laughs> These people have got no idea what's going on in the world. And they're very happy. Very, very happy. They've got no mortgages. They haven't heard of a mortgage. They don't know what any of these things are. They have their little gardens and they go into their gardens every day. They eat what's from their gardens and that's basically it. Anyway, Papua New Guinea, there's the, the, there are 1,000 language groups there. 7 million, 8 million people, 1,000 language groups. That's an enormous amount. Some of you have been to Papua New Guinea and some of you know what I'm talking about. We went there with this little, little device here called a God Pod. Have you heard of an iPod? Well, this is a God pod. This is a God pod. This runs on solar, okay? It doesn't need batteries. And the whole Bible and some other material has been placed on this little God pod in the pidgin English language, which is kind of the standard language that most of, of the people of Papua New Guinea speak. Not all. Some of them are so remote they haven't even got a handle on pidgin English. And so we gave these God pods for the simple reason that the, half the population of Papua New Guinea, or maybe more, especially out in the remote areas, can't even read and write. So there's no point in giving them a Bible because they can't read and write. They're illiterate. So 
You give them the God pods and these missionaries, they were going out to the various villages with the God pod and they just simply put the God pod on. It runs on solar. There's plenty of sunshine there in Papua New Guinea and the people are able to hear the good news of the gospel. Now that is a fulfillment of what Jesus said, didn't he? He said those who are illiterate, those who cannot read and write, those who don't have access to electricity, those that don't have access to batteries, I'm going to ensure that they hear the gospel through the God pod. Amen? How awesome is that? So the good news is going far and wide. What will be the sign that the gospel has been preached in all the world and Jesus is on his way? You remember the disciples asked, what will be the sign of your coming? What will be that sign? Notice what Jesus said. Here it is, Matthew 24, 30. Then the the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will come, sorry, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. What will be the sign that the gospel has gone to all the world and Jesus is on his way? When you and I look up into the heavens and we see Jesus coming with all of the angels, when we hear the trumpet blast, when the dead in Christ rise out of their graves and when we are all caught up together, as 1 Thessalonians says, to be with the Lord forever. That's when it's all going to come to a grand climax. Is that good news? I'm excited. I don't know about you. It's very exciting. This is the best news this universe will ever know, will ever hear. That's the message that God wants for you and I to have today in these uncertain times. The question is, will you be part of the elect when Jesus comes or will you be part of those who mourn? Only two groups when Jesus comes. Only two groups. How many groups? Two. Two. The saved and the lost. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus and those who haven't. What a tragedy to know all these things and to miss out. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? The greatest tragedy of all. My prayer is that you and I will choose by God's grace to be part of the elect. That when Jesus comes, we will cry out these words, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him and He has promised He will save us. This is our God. We have waited for Him. And yes, we have put our faith and trust in Him. And we ask, we will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. I want to be part of that group that cries out those words, don't you? Loving Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for the awesome news that we have heard this afternoon. Father, we thank you so much that you will put an end to the sadness and the suffering and the sickness and the sorrow in this world through the advent of your one and only precious Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we thank you for the second coming of Jesus. It is our only hope, our only hope. And we thank you that we have this blessed hope. And this afternoon, indeed, we have discovered hope. We have discovered how we can face these uncertain times with confidence and without fear. Father, we thank you for Jesus. It's my prayer that each and every person here, those who are watching on DVD at a later time or on the internet or however they will 
hear and see these things, that they too will put their faith and trust in you. Oh, Father, bless us, keep us close to you, keep us looking up, longing for that day when we will cry out, Behold, this is our God, we have waited for him, we have put our faith and trust in him, and now he has come to save us. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, amen and amen and amen.